This is Zeninish. Kiki, and today we will be discussing black male mental health. This is um, a very important topic and one that I think we don't discuss enough. And in this time with everything that's going on, it's definitely something that we need to pay attention to and shed some light on. Today we have a wonderful panel with us, and um, I'd like to introduce them at this time. We have Dr. Alan Lipscomb, and he is an assistant professor a researcher and clinical practitioner who works at California State University Northridge in the Department of Social Work. His area of expertise is centered around the psychiatric epidemiology among racialized black men across the black diaspora within the United States who have experienced trauma, specifically exploring grief reactions among black men in the United States. Uh, the title of his book is Black Male Grief Reaction to Trauma, a Clinical Case Study of One Man's Mental Health Treatment. So welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. We also have Mr. Robert Ellington, and Mr. Ellington is a success coach who is employed with Halos, and his area of expertise centers on assisting kinship families and life skills for children and teens. We're glad to have you, Mr. Ellington. Thanks for having me. All right, and we also have Dr. Mario Jackson, and he is a higher education consultant who is the CEO of Jackson Educational Consulting Group, LLC, and his area of expertise is teaching higher education institutions how to integrate the concept of thought work into their faculty and staff development initiatives. So welcome, Dr. Jackson. Thank you so much for having me. And we're also very happy to have Dr. Daphne Watkins. And Dr. Watkins is a professor and director of the Center for Health Equity Research and Training at the University of Michigan. Dr. Watkins is a behavioral health scientist who specializes in research on within group differences among black men. And her work highlights the importance of specific programs that improve mental health, manhood, and social support for young black men. Welcome, Dr. Watkins. Thank you, very happy to be here. Awesome. So let's kind of jump right in here. And I'm gonna reference a, uh, an article that was written February, 2019 by Thomas A. Vance. And Dr. Vance um, addresses mental health in the black community. So we're gonna start a little broad and then we're gonna narrow down into black male mental health. And he states that research suggests that the adult black community is 20% more likely to experience serious mental health problems, such as major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder. And young black adults age 18 to 25 also experience higher rates of mental health problems and lower rates of mental health service utilization compared to white young adults and older black adults. He further states that further research is required to clarify these findings and to understand the factors associated with lower utilization of mental health care among the black community. 
And let's talk about this a bit. What are some of the reasons that you think contribute to the lower utilization of mental health care amongst the Black community? And we'll start with Dr. Lipscomb. Sure. I think there's a couple of factors um, that, that play into this. One of the things that, that I have found is that there is a need for, for Black communities, Black folks to receive mental health support, but because of the long history of, of mistreatment in, in health care settings and institutions, we see that they are leery um, um, and, and, and accessing those types of services while they are seeking some type of support. It's just not in the, the, the traditional uh, uh, Western European ways of receiving uh, services and mental health support. So they're receiving that through kinship. They're receiving that through their church uh, community, et cetera. So they access it, but it just looks different because of that long history. Okay. And um, you did mention kinship, and I know that that's something that Mr. Ellington works with. Mr. Ellington, can you tell us a little bit about kinship? What What is that? What does that look like? Um, <clears throat> kinship is any... Um, relationship where, you know, children and families are all connected, like he said, like not necessarily in the Western, uh, by the Western definition of the nuclear family. This could be grandma, this could be auntie, this could be uncle with children, taking care of children, no matter what the circumstances may be. But a lot of people, um, you know, they look for supports within that network and they feel like that should be enough and there's also that whole stigma about mental health and, oh, well, we'll just pray about it. Or, you know, uh, the whole stigma of not being strong, like there's some kind of weakness if there's something going on mentally or emotionally. So there's a lot of that, that, you know, I, I see it all the time. Uh, and sometimes I work with families who are in that position, uh, like where granny is taking care of children because mom or dad is going through something. That's what they always say. They're going through something. And, you know, when you start digging and talking and talking and talking, you realize that something is mental illness. Mm -hmm. But they, it's like they don't want to say it. They don't want to really go there. You know, they're like, oh, we'll pray about it. But have you gone, you know, what, therapy isn't a bad thing. So that's, there's a lot of the stigma that we have to get past. I think we're in a better place than we were. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, but it was, there's still some work. Yes. And I think bringing up stigma is, is a huge part of it. And I wonder if, if the stigma is um, just thinking that we can pray through it or we, we have to be strong enough to get through it, or if there really is a lack of understanding about what mental health and mental health challenges really are. Dr. Watson, would you like to weigh in on that? Well, yeah, I think there is a stigma associated with all of these challenges, but I also think we have to do a better job of normalizing seeking help for these mm -hmm. kinds of challenges. I think, yes. you know, just as what was said earlier, we, we tend to not do that. We tend to just handle it on our own thinking about, you know, what are the implications if someone happens to see my weakness? Mm -hmm. And this is speaking broadly about the Black community in general. So I, I know the 
the topic of this panel is to talk about Black men's mental health, but I would even go as far as to say that these are some of the challenges that Black women face, too. You yes, know, yes. do I want to show my weaknesses and, and go in and seek help when I'm supposed to be the backbone of the community or the backbone of the family? Yes. You know, so I think, you know, going back to my earlier point, we just have to do a better job of normalizing help seeking and normalizing the fact that if someone does need help, for any kind of challenge, that it's not seen as a weakness or that they're lesser of a person because they're making the decision to actually try to do something about whatever it is they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Dr. Jackson? Uh, I think Dr. Watson and, and the other panelists have, have made really good points about, uh, you know, the attitudes towards receiving uh, mental health for black, male, uh, black males. I, I think a part of uh, what's driving some of these attitudes is also just a basic sense of trust of the medical system in general. Yes. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, there, it's really not a secret anymore that it's here in the United States, the, uh, there's a, a really dark history of experiment, experimentation on black males and, and females uh, for the sake of research. So I, I think that those, those, um, those situations have not been forgotten mm -hmm. and they are deeply ingrained into the mentality of, of the black community and particularly males about reaching out to the medical uh, community, whether it's for you know, uh, a physical or a mental condition for help. There's just a lot of mistrust there uh, that could be driving some of these attitudes. Yes, and I think that the history, uh, that wound is often open. I think about a recent article I read where two French doctors were discussing on live television about cures for COVID and they thought a great place to test it was in the African community. Um, mm -hmm. And when you have that type of thing happening in 2020, then you can see where some of those same sentiments from the past resonate today and why there is that distrust. So what are some ways that, or some other ways that you see the issues with mental health manifesting specifically within the Black uh, male community? Like what are some of the challenges that we are seeing today? We talked about the fact that it is better than it was before, but what are some of the challenges that are still quite prevalent today? I think some of the same stuff that uh, we were just touching on in general, speaking of the um, African-American community, uh, uh, one of the things that I found when I moved from community-based mental health practice to a more private practice setting is that I started to see more, uh, and I'm in Los Angeles, uh, California. I started to see more uh, men, men of color, uh, uh, black men coming in to get services. And I would hear things like aggression, you know, was one of the referrals, uh, uh, intimacy relationship, fidelity, infidelity issues uh, were some of it. But then as I started to explore and unpack that and really started to research this, I noticed that there was an underlining theme of unresolved losses that kept coming up. And so one of the things that I started to look into because I wanted to better understand um, how to work with this is this idea of unresolved loss and, and grief that starts to look like other things that we don't automatically see it as such. 
And if I may back out a little bit, that's what drove me into the research that I started to do because I didn't find research that talked about what treatment looks like, what services look like for black men who are grieving. And then that starts to go deeper around, you know, trauma and stuff like that. Yeah, and I do want to get into some of that, the actual treatment part of it um, a little later in our discussion. But in talking about that, I, I want to delve a little more into that. When we're looking at, you talked about how grief manifests in other ways. Can we talk a little more about that and, and across the panel, like in what ways are you seeing that to ring true? Well, this is Daphne Watkins. I, I would argue that um, for me, the elephant in the room is issues around masculinity mm. and how black men are defining themselves as men. And I think for me, this is sort of the thread that tends to just go all throughout mental health, mental illness, and how Black men are presenting themselves in their communities. And what's interesting is that it's almost one of those things that I feel like if we really sit down and start to unpack some of the challenges that Black men are having around being able to express themselves or as what was mentioned sort of this unresolved grief a lot of it is how they present themselves to the world and how they want the world to receive them you know i mean because a lot of the men that i tend to work with in my community-based interventions will just flat out tell me like i don't want to be seen as a punk i don't want to be treated as a punk so even though there are some things that may have happened to me as a child or as a young adult trauma loss whatever the case may be i have to bottle that up and i have to wear this mask and i have to go out of my house every day with this mask on. And if I don't, then I'll already have, you know, I already have so many shots against me for being a black man in general, but this will be yet one more shot against me if someone thinks that I'm weak or unable to handle what's yeah. been given me in the world. Good point. Definitely. And I, I want to ask the question, simply having to wear or feeling that you have to wear the mask, does that in itself create grief. So sure, I, I yeah. would defer to our distinguished black male panelists here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I may jump in here for a second, because I yeah. think um, Dr. Watson, um, she, she definitely called out the elephant in the room, but I'd like to name the elephant. Um, and I think <laughs> yes, what we're talking about is, is toxic masculinity. Mm. So when, when we are as black men and, 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 this is not necessarily gender specific because this applies to women as well. But when we have to think about these, these rigid values of what it means to be a male, a black male, and then you add on subfactor, subfactor from the South or from the city or from my block or from yes. my hood, you have this, this, this long list of, of things that you're supposed to be. So I, I just believe that, you know, as, as the panelists are, are indicating, that when there's this, this disconnect between what's inside and what's expected from the external world, that could be a source of grief because there's a loss of sense of self, right? Yeah. There, there's not a true sense of identity and there's just this facade of going through life every day, living up to other people's expectations of who you're supposed to be as a black male. Definitely, definitely. Very definitely. well said, very yes. well said. Yes, yes, yes. And, and therein lies that unresolved stuff. Right. Therein lies that grief, that 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 not being able to and, and, and taking the points that that Dr. Watkins and Dr. Jackson just brought up and looking at the history, the historical pieces, specifically around black men. 
having to or or being in unique situations and settings over years that uh, supports that type of masculinity, uh, toxic masculinity, uh, uh, only complicates when we talk about the unpacking of the mental health and the grief, et cetera. I got to say that um, uh, I was recently working with a family and it, it's an auntie who's taking care of a niece and a nephew. And her nephew is all of six years old and he had a meltdown and he was crying. And this auntie said to me, why is he crying? I want him to be a man. He's six years old. And I really, you know, I, I'm work, I, we just started working together. So I'm trying to ease into some of the, you know, the gender role discussion and the, you know, all those things because she's this, she's got this archaic idea about what a boy, a six-year-old boy who's crying because he's upset, oh, that's a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's starting. And if he's being told that he's not supposed to cry because he's a boy, yeah. what does that turn into when he's a teenager and when he's a man? You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in and actually kind of um, just dovetail off of that and to what has been said, just about our use of the term toxic masculinity. And maybe I'm going to out myself here, but I'm actually not a huge fan of that term at all. Because I feel like in so many ways, it labels a type of male profile that may often get attached to men of color. And so I actually try not to think, yeah. yeah, I try not to think of masculinity in terms of toxic or positive or negative, but I try to tend to think of, of masculinity in the plural form, masculinities, right? And there is this yeah. continuum mm. on which different behaviors and characteristics fall. And so I would just urge us and caution us to think about, even though it helps us understand some negative gender norms and negative gender behaviors to think about some features, some characteristics of masculinity as toxic, I would just caution us, particularly as people of color, that sometimes when we talk about masculinity in that way, and for many of us who already work with Black men, people just automatically default to thinking about toxic masculinity as being associated with Black men. And so I yes. will rarely use that term. I rarely use that term. I'll talk about masculinities upon, you know, there's this continuum upon which various forms and demonstrations of masculinity may fall. And during any point in a Black male's life, from young adult, from, you know, childhood to old age, he may dabble in any of those places on the continuum. You know what I mean? Yes. So I, I just want to throw that out there as just a something to think about as we think about these labels, right? Like I think our communities are already labeled enough. Yes, yes, <laughs> and yes. so I would really urge us to, to think about how we're labeling, um, you know, black men and men of color. I feel like whenever I would say the word toxic, being a black woman, I felt like people say, oh, she must be talking about her brother, her father, her dad. And so I had to sort of even look mm -hmm. at myself and how I was, you know, not intentionally trying to put this negative label on the black men and boys in my life. But just the fact that the words came out of my mouth, people assumed they knew what I was talking about. Mm. That's a very good point. And I think about the fact that when you do look at the spectrum of masculinity, even what some may deem as quote unquote toxic, at some point in time, 
it was necessary and it served a purpose. Along the way, our times, our society, our environment, our conditions have changed and we are allowed to feel and be more free with who we are and what we experience and how we experience those things. But we haven't learned or a large part of our community hasn't learned how to move with those times and adapt and adapt. So they are teaching what they know. So, you know, I know this to be how to survive and, you know, right Mm -hmm. or wrong, Mm -hmm. a lot of us in our community for good reason are still stuck in a place of, we need to survive. We need to, you know, make it. And this is how I made it from before so this is right. what I'm teaching to my child now, yeah, you know, yeah. and even like a sense of fear of stepping outside of that. Does my child have the same privilege as someone else to be able to step outside of that? Yeah. So yeah. Looking at it in those terms as well. And, and I think, Dr. Kiki, I think you, you're getting kind of the heart of what, what I do in working with, with the concept of thought work. So, you know, this, this concept is based in, in cognitive psychology, which, which simply defines being able to empower yourself to choose the thoughts that produce the outcomes you want in your life. So I, I think that when we're talking about uh, masculinities, which I love that, that concept that Dr. Watson threw on the table there, um, that we have to start a rethink not only at the, the individual level with, with, as black males, but it's a societal level. Right. You know, we're all talking about how those things, uh, those those ideas and beliefs work for us in the past. They no longer serve us. Right. Because if that were the case, we wouldn't have so many uh, people, black males, namely, who are in pain and suffering because of this this dissonance between who they are on the inside and and who they are expected to be on the outside world. Mm -hmm. And just briefly, I wanted to go back to the example the panelists shared about the, the six year old boy. And just just pause there for a moment because I think that's an excellent example in where there is an arrested development. A part of that little boy could have died that day. Like seriously, his personality just would not even form the same way. He's exposed to that uh, from his aunt. So Mm -hmm. I I think that that's just, it, it underscores how these ideologies about black masculinity can be damaging and, and how they can be hurtful to, especially the, the young black males yeah. who are trying to figure out who they are as, as children and not being nurtured to, to explore and, and really go, go forward with what they feel on the inside to make sure that, that that's who they present themselves to the world to be. And even, you know, definitely from the inside, but what they're seeing reflected in the world around them. You know, it's no longer, you know, where we are just a community, a Black community, isolated, separate, alone. We are exposed to all of the myriad of other people, cultures, traditions. And so we see that there are other ways of being in the world and succeeding. So why can I not have a part of that? Why can I not be a part of that as well? And there's that lost piece again, Mm -hmm. right? And I love what Dr. Jackson highlighted, too, because therein lies the genesis of, 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 of the, the lost experience, if you will, with the six-year-old example. And one of the things that I, I talk about and I found in my work is this idea of forced cultural acceptance. 
mm. around uh, black men specifically, since we're talking about them, uh, being forced to accept conditions and situations that would not be acceptable if it were not for systems of, uh, of oppression, uh, um, uh, folks buying into this dominant narrative that you can't express yourselves. And so when it's time to actually feel something and unpack something, what we hear is things like, it's, it's good, it is what it is, I'm cool, mm -hmm. I'm straight. Yeah. Because they've been conditioned to accept situations and, 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 and uh, conditions that is not acceptable. And you should yeah. have feelings and, and, and it's important. It's okay to have feelings around what's happening and what's going on. And I think that also speaks to what you were talking about earlier because you're like, you know, I'm good, I'm straight, I got it, but you don't, and those emotions mm -hmm. are still there, what happens to them? They that will part. manifest in some way. And so that's when we start to see the other ways in which that grief, that loss, that pain manifests. For sure. Mm. Um, and I would even go as far as to, to say the same way that we need to normalize mental health care and mental health care seeking, which is what I mentioned earlier, we probably need to um, do a little bit more to normalize these various definitions of manhood and what it means to be a man. Yeah. I mean, I love that example, too, about the six-year-old, because, you know, just, just imagine how differently that situation could have gone had that woman, I, I think the aunt, I think, there, I think someone said that um, it, it was an aunt involved, just imagine how differently that situation could have gone had that boy been exposed to other men who were emotive, who expressed themselves and their emotions. Yeah. And not just the little boy, but also the woman herself. Right. You know, sometimes yes. people don't realize that uh, the, and I, I'm, I'm so glad we're not face to face because uh, you all may throw tomatoes at me when I say this, but sometimes <laughs> women, black women are the worst culprits when it comes to encouraging black men to be emotional or expressive. Sometimes we don't support that. You know, Amen. I can't tell you how many women I talk to who say, I, I don't want my husband to cry. I don't want my boyfriend to be, you know, a punk or weak. And so to me, yes. sometimes we're the worst about yeah. trying yeah. to support these kinds of things. And so, like, this is what I love about where we all, where we are today in this work is we, we are better. We're better than we were, say, 10 years ago. But don't get me wrong. We still have a lot of work to do around how can we normalize multiple definitions of manhood and masculinity, various ways of men who are men and what we consider to be the epitome of manhood and masculinity, you know? So I, I like what athletes are doing. I like what a lot of celebrities are doing, just really pushing those boundaries around gender definitions and gender norms, really making people question, well, wait a minute, I thought that was a more feminine way to, you know, yeah. approach that problem. Or I, I thought that was a, you know, not a, not a masculine way to address that issue. You know, death and grief and all of that should conjure up some sort of emotion. And I feel like we just haven't normalized that as, as best as we could with blackness. Yeah. I agree. And, and I, well, I'm going to be the, I'll be the person to say, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the systems of support, i.e. the church, okay, let's, let's be for real. Um, yeah. All church, right now. All right now. <laughs> the church <laughs> reinforces some of those stereotypical, yes. Yes. archaic ideas. So, 
Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yes. <laughs> and, and even just to pile onto that, that there is also a little bit of of duality in, in how the church looks at, at masculinity. Because absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so there's, a, there's 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 mixed messages coming from the pulpit, right? You know, yes. it's okay mm-hmm. if you are mm-hmm. in service in a certain way, in a particular yes. fashion. And if not, then it's it's not okay. Yeah. So that's right. Yep. That's right. And I think all of this speaks to the fact that the change that needs to come about and is slowly coming about in the community has to be systemic. You can't mm-hmm. just look mm-hmm. at the black male or you know, the black woman. It has to be systemic and it has to cross the age lines. Because as we talked about before, we had this little black boy who you know, wishes to express himself, is expressing himself, but the auntie of a different mm-hmm. generation doesn't get it. Yep. Yeah, so right. educating the aunties and the uncles and the cousins and everyone in where we need to be, where we can be, where we want to be as a people is very important. Yes. Yes. And then modeling becomes important yes. too. Yes. Something that, that Dr. Yes. Ryan was touching yes. on with the with NBA and stuff. Modeling, what does uh, uh, gender look like? How do we perform gender and, and uh-huh. it still be okay? How do we perform, not even perform, but how do we express our own emotions and it still yes. be okay within the community, within the hood, et cetera? Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I created this uh, social media-based intervention that works to improve mental health, expand definitions of manhood, and increase social support for young Black men. And then oftentimes when we sit down with these young adult Black men and we talk with them about their direct influences, they always just take a beeline right to pop culture. They Mm -hmm. always talk about athletes and music artists and actors. And so, you know, we would be fools to think that they're not getting something from that, that they're not getting their own definitions of manhood molded through who they see and the people that they admire. Now, certainly many of them also talk about family members and historical figures, but I mean, nine times out of 10, they're going to name their favorite music artist or their favorite athlete. And so... You know, we we can't just think that these kinds of influences are happening in the home. It does happen every time they pick up their cell phone and are going to follow the Twitter account of their favorite celebrity. Yes, you're absolutely right. And one of the things I so appreciated and respected as a result of the the devastating tragedy of Kobe Bryant's death and and his daughter and the other um, people on the helicopter was we were able to see Black males grieve yeah. publicly, yeah. openly, weeping. First Help time in my yeah. life yeah. that I've been able to openly see that. And, and that, going back to the, 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 the younger uh, folks, seeing that being modeled was profound. Yeah. Yeah. Sit with that. Yeah. You know, be inundated with that, if you will, for the most part, was, was something that was so powerful. And it gave many men permission to express in green. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that as well is I couldn't help but think as I'm watching my television and I'm watching these grown men, I mean, and kids and, and adolescents that matter, as I'm watching them weep, I mean, weep, not cry, weep, weep. for Kobe yes. Bryant. Yeah, you know, you know, as I'm watching this, I couldn't help but think 
how many of these guys started out weeping for Kobe Bryant, but also shed a tear for their own loss, their that own part. father, their that own part. brother, yes. their that own part. cousin. And that so part. I'm not convinced that 100% of those tears were for Kobe. I would argue right. maybe 30% of those tears for sure. were for Kobe, but <laughs> for you know, sure. the yeah. other 70% of those tears was right. an opportunity for men to just yeah. let the floodgates open yes. on all the loss yes. they just yes. in their life. To yes. me, yes. if Kobe had to be the reason why they started crying, I'm yes. okay with that. Yes. But just yes. imagine how much healing happened as a result of those men just opening up the floodgates for right. a reason that was publicly acknowledged a good yeah. reason to cry. Or right? Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed in my practice, in my private practice, is that Black men are the first population, if you will, out of the different folks that I see to cry in session. And usually mm. it's that first mm, yeah. session when they get permission yeah. to, 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 to let it out. They have permission and that space. Yes. Um, and I think that one of the other things that came out of the tragedy with uh, Kobe Bryant and the others passing was that his story and his life with his daughters was told mm-hmm. in a way that it hadn't been told before. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, to yeah. talk about it's okay to love these daughters in a way yes. that and loving yes. and expressing that love. And I think that that was something, that was a gem that really came out of that tragedy. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Mm. So uh, in talking about kind of where we've come from and where we are now. Let's look forward. And I know that many of you are doing some great work in moving us forward with mental health within the Black community. And and we are talking right now specifically about Black males. Um, I'd like to start with you, Dr. Watson. Um, I read an article entitled, A Light on the Path to and uh, Promise for Black Men's Mental Health. And in this article, um, you stated a small but inspiring group of men's mental health um, i.e. emotional, psychological, and social well-being scholars are unapologetically working with and on behalf of Black men in the United States. And you talked about three major components or tenets of this effort. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a bit. Yeah, so I, I'd be happy to. So that was um, an article that I was asked to write in response to some of the guidelines that were recently put out about how to do psychological practice with uh, boys and men. And um, I just wanted to make sure that that kind of thinking was, you know, also being directed towards black men and boys. Mm-hmm. And so um, I chuckle <clears throat> when you actually read that piece from my paper because I was very intentional about noting that there are some scholars out here who are unapologetically <laughs> focusing our work mm-hmm. on African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a, a researcher and a health educator by training, I just remember earlier in my career how I was discouraged from um, looking only within groups, like only within the group of Black men. As the focus of my work, I was told to use a white comparison sample because they were the gold standard. And for some right. reason, we needed to compare what we did with Black men to white men as well. And so I, of course, aggressively pushed back on that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in that particular paper, um, I was very clear about the fact that there are some of us, you know, definitely some of us on this call as well, who 
you know, don't apologize yes, for our yes. focus on these men and feel like it's something that we should give our time and attention to. Mm. Mm. Very much so. Um, Dr. Lipscomb, um, I, we were talking earlier, I read your article about the black male grief through the lens of um, racialization and oppression. Mm-hmm. And um, you talk about, you know, you stated that although black males have experienced mental health challenges comparable to other marginalized populations, black men dealing with the loss and trauma have a greater risk of experiencing severe mental health challenges than their white counterparts due to racism, classism, economic inequalities, and social political injustices um, in exist- that haven't been in existence since slavery. Um, in talking about that, you talk about a way forward when dealing with grief and trauma. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? Sure, sure. There's a couple of things that I argue and and encourage, even when I do trainings around uh, working with Black men uh, who are grieving, is that one of the things we have to do specifically in spaces and more intimate spaces like therapeutic spaces, clinical spaces, is speaking truth to experiences, recognizing and validating truth, racialized experiences, Mm -hmm. truth around uh, gender, um, what they've been told to do, told not to do, uh, becomes very important. Uh, Normalizing feelings versus pathologizing uh, behaviors that we see from the larger community um, outside of the Black community, they don't see this as a mental health. When they see uh, anger, irritability, that's an angry Black male. That's not someone who may be depressed. Right, so recognizing what it looks like, and it may look different than like uh, Dr. Watkins was saying a moment ago, comparing to uh, white counterparts, et cetera. Um, Acknowledging more specifically uh, systems of oppression, power and privilege, specifically that show up in the clinical space and speaking about that, and especially if you do not look like uh, uh, black males in that space, acknowledging your privilege and your social location becomes important. Uh, joining in the space with them and not, and this is very important, not hijacking their emotive experience in the space. Yes. One of the things that I have found and seen over and over again, folks, and this goes back to sometimes some of the situations, um, settings, uh, black women too, will hijack the emotive experience of that of the black male. Maybe they're trying to rescue the emotive experience, uh, uh, trying to protect the emotive experience, or cannot tolerate to sit in the space and see and experience their man, black male, uh, uh, grieving and weeping. Um, I see this also with uh, white folk working with uh, black men who talk about their trauma experience or their racialized experience, trying to make them quote unquote feel better, mm-hmm. but inadvertently it takes away from their experience emoting in the space. So I tell folks, yes. don't yeah. hijack. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's a great point. That's such a great point. I agree. The, the, the panelists are 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 definitely uh, inspiring me and and making sure that their voices are heard. And I'm, I'm just curious to know what they think about the representation of, of black males 
specifically in, in the mental health field. I came across a statistic that cited only 3.7% of members in the American Psychiatric Association and 1.5% members in the American Psychological Association are Black. So I'm, I'm just wondering what, if the, the panelists can do like a quick temperature check on where we are with that, because if we don't have the models, uh, it's very difficult for us to say, you know, we have our doors open, we're here to help you. So, so what do the panelists think about that? Um, although we are seeing an increase, right, and, and specifically black males um, getting degrees in, in, in psychology, social work, uh, so on and so forth, marriage and family counseling, um, it's not to the same degree uh, amount that we see uh, other populations and communities, especially the dominant population uh, of white uh, folks, white women in, in, in the mental health uh, community. Um, and so one of the things that I have been tasked with uh, is bringing this information and this research that I've done and other folks have, have done to train those folks too, because some black males may not want to go to another black male. And we have to be honest about that. Yeah. Because sometimes we embody and represent the, the person that they grew up, you know, negating their truth experience. So then how do I go and emote right. and let down right. to someone who looks like me? Um, and I'll be quite honest, that's, that's me. Uh, my my uh -huh. therapist doesn't look like me, right? Uh, and, and I was intentional about that because I don't want to have to look at myself. I don't want to have to look at my kinfolk. I don't want to have to take yeah. care of you uh, unconsciously, right? Unconsciously. And I don't want to have to worry about you judging how I'm emoting. So specifically, I look for folk, mm -hmm. I looked for someone who had a critical lens, um, who, who I didn't have to explain stuff, but I could feel comfortable enough and that's the, the, another important piece, enough to, to express what I needed to get out at that time or at yeah. the time I go. Right. It's a great point. I'll, I'll say as um, I'm back in school, I'm working on a clinical psych um, degree. And I, first of all, where I'm doing my internship, the, um, my supervisor is a white male who during our introduction, one of the first things he said to me was like, look, I am open. If I say anything that's, um, that's out of line, it's not on purpose, but I need you to bring it to my attention. I'm aware that I am privileged and I want to work on that. And I want to make sure that I am doing all that I'm supposed to do to support the myriad of people who come in. I live in Japan and we serve for the most part an expat community and they're from all over the world. And so he wants to make sure that he is culturally aware, culturally sensitive, um, and that was important to me. Uh, going back to what you were saying or your question, Dr. Jackson, I think in some ways it's a double-edged sword in that it's exactly what uh, Dr. Lipscomb said in a lot of ways, but the other side of it is that non-Black people also um, oftentimes don't want to go to a black therapist. That's right. So then you have the black therapist who has black people who don't want to come to them for whatever reasons. And then yeah. you have non-blacks who don't want to come to the black therapist right. for, um, for their reasons. And so who are your clients? 
how do you make money? How do you help people? Um, so I think a lot of times, even in getting these types of degrees, a lot of black therapists or mental health workers go into different fields in order to one, make a living, but also to reach a larger population of people and actually be able to help. Yeah. Cause I mean, not every, not every white person wants a magical Negro to help. That part. <laughs> I had a white male uh, tell me, he was like, um, I don't understand how you are still living. And I said, excuse me. Ooh. He said, well, you know, with everything that happens to, to black men, I, I'm surprised that you oh haven't like goodness. killed yourself or something. Wow. wow. At the end of session. Oh my God. Wow. Take that in. So speaking directly to what Dr. Hudson was just touching on and what you were just touching on, Mr. Ellington, is is this idea that I can't even reconcile how you're sitting in front of me. Let alone, I didn't pick you. My insurance authorized me to work. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. So, so we're here now. You mean I have to write a check to you? I have to write you a check right now? How are oh, you even man. in existence? Well, that and that actually that touches on um, an article I read uh, by you, Dr. Lipscomb, that talked about microaggressions, and I can yeah. so many times, like I talked to someone over the that over sounds the more like a macroaggression to me. That's huge. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, that, you do run into those types of things as well. Or, or you get well. Let me speaking of microaggression. Let me give you a microaggression, and let me give you another piece, uh, another example. Um, I had one person, another white male, say to me, and it's always at the end of session, folks, catch the cognitive dissonance. Now I have to pay you, so let me start saying this. Uh, oh, I, no. I oh. guess basketball didn't work out for you. Oh. 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 <laughs> so right. me being a doctor, me being a therapist, et cetera, wow. is a step down. It's like my plan B. Because wow. of course I, I went to school on a basketball scholarship. Of course that was my number one. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. who who are these people? Well, I mean, Man. Who are yeah. that part. Welcome to who the profession. Are you're meeting? Welcome yeah, to all, right? I always I always seriously. say to my students the, um I could teach a class titled The Shit They Should Have Taught You. Right. Yeah. Of what to expect. Right? I think I agree with yeah, Doctor. Run into a lot of macro aggressions, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a macro aggression to me. <laughs> yeah. But Doctor Hudson, at least your name's not Daphne, because when <laughs> then when I walk in, they give me the oh, they give me the oh, you're black. Look, oh, you're black. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> Daphne. Oh, that's an interesting name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. So um, I was wondering if Dr. Jackson, if you could talk a little more about thought work, because that's definitely a way forward um, in working with mental health, especially in this community. Sure, absolutely. So as I explained before, the, the concept uh, is really given to us from the field of cognitive psychology. And, and the, the underlying principle here is that no one teaches us that we really have the ability to choose what we think. We, these thoughts pop into our head and because we hear them in our own minds, we just automatically assume that they're true. And after I discovered this work and I began to practice it, I started learning ways that I could 
really just kind of break the, the, the think, feel, act process apart. And if I could look at situations from through a different lens, I could choose thoughts that helped me feel the way that I wanted to, that motivated me to take actions to get the results that I wanted. So it's a core belief and, and core philosophy of what I do uh, when I coach students. Uh, when they're taking online classes that, you know, just because you think you failed the first test and you're not going to pass this class doesn't mean that thought is true, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's a thought error. So when I, we were talking earlier about, you know, how these thoughts that no longer serve us in, in the community about Black male masculinity, that's like a massive thought work project, right? That's a thought work project for the world. Right, because that that it just goes beyond our, our borders of, of what it means to be black, but it also kind of you know gets into what others think about what it means to be a black male. So I, I believe that this concept is is something that is empowering. I, I think that when we start really unpacking like what's driving this thought, and it's usually a situation or a circumstance that we believe is positive or negative. And how do we take that and, and neutralize it so that we can be curious about what are our true abilities? So what if I don't think this thought and I choose a thought that's probably a little bit more neutral and fact-based, okay, I didn't pass this test, it means that I can do better on the next one, right? That's, that's objective. I have the possibility of actually passing the next test if I make some changes. And I believe that when you work in that space, you create the energy that really pushes you forward to make an enact change and take action that gets you to the desired outcome. Mm. And it is kind of like um, right now, brief therapy. And it can change, you can change a thought, you know, within a short yes. period of time. And, you know, going back again to the example that Mr. Ellington gave, if you, if you did that process with the auntie, to get her to think about why do you think that way? Where is that coming yes. from? And what right. if we change that? And we looked at this child in a different right. way. That yeah. right. changed it, and those, Yeah, oh. I, I think the perfect question in that moment for that auntie would have been, uh, you know, I, I don't want him to cry and just to come back, well, why is that such a bad thing? Mm -hmm. And she'll probably mm -hmm. come out with a reason and you hit her again. Well, why is that such a bad thing? Yeah. And she'll come out with a reason and you hit her again. Yes. Like, well, why is that such a bad thing? So essentially you work yes. her down to the process of, of realizing, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing that he cries. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I think that this exactly. work is important. It, it's important. It's, it's useful. It's something that individuals can learn on their own. You don't have to, you know, get a degree in this. Um, this is not what my degree is in. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. it, it's truly a, a, a concept that I have, I've, I've embraced. And it really has changed my life. Um, you know, that mental chatter that we always have, you know, whatever that little voice in our head is that's telling us that we can't, we can't, we can't. I'm learning how to tell that little voice, you know, blow off. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's not true. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to trick me into not taking action. So I'm going to try to think about uh, an idea or a belief that really gets me motivated to do the thing that you're telling me that I can't. Yeah. I'm I know I'm not the I know I'm not the um moderator here but what I I'd like to bring something up um as far as the whole COVID-19 thing. Yes. I feel like that has exacerbated a lot of things 
And we haven't really, I mean, we kind of mentioned it, but we didn't really talk about it. And that, mm -hmm. that's one thing that I'm seeing in my work because uh, now I have to call people as, as opposed to visiting them, right? So I would typically be in their homes and talking with them. But the levels of stress, yes. uh, you know, with a parent who is now having to basically homeschool children while they work from home, yes, uh, or the parent or the, or the caregiver who has just been laid off, right? Who now has the children at home who are working on their computers uh, and dealing with them all day long, and then the 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 uh, the grief actually the grief of not being able to connect with the people that they usually connect with and the fear about what can happen and then yes. the health issues and so there's layers upon layers upon layers and as far as black males i mean you know <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot of stress and you know and it's not obviously it's not just black males but males in general there's a lot of domestic violence happening Right. A lot of uh, children are being abused. A lot of things are happening and things are being exacerbated. So I, I wanted to just ask any of the panelists <laughs> what, where they are with that and, and as far as dealing with some of those things. Sure, I know for me, I am like uh, Dr. Hudson, I'm doing um, telehealth right now. Uh, yes. And I have been doing a lot of coaching around productive self-talk for yeah. folks, going back to what um, Dr. Jackson was touching on. And so it's not so much um, the traditional like positive self-talk and all that stuff. It's, yeah. did you get out of bed today? That's productive. Yes. Uh, did you do a load of laundry? That's productive. Did right. you walk outside? Did you wash the dishes? Did you whatever? So shifting a little bit around what is working for you that you're doing and let's focus on that because yes. this is unprecedented. This is new yeah. territory, but how do we keep you cognitively functioning? Mm -hmm. right? Right. That right. that doesn't begin to overwhelm your psyche and then yes. physiological responses as a result of that. Yes. Okay. So I'm not a yeah, sure. So I'm I'm not a therapist. I only play one on television. So I, I often <laughs> tell people that I, I'm I'm definitely not a clinician by training. And so my work with Black men tends to be more community based, community anchored kinds of projects. Mm -hmm. And I think I alluded earlier to my online intervention that I've created through social media for young Black men. And so mm -hmm. what this COVID nineteen matter has raised for me is the need for more of those kinds of spaces. Um, yes. Particularly yeah. because the, the the program that we had is not e-therapy by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a community. It's just an online community um, where we share mental health education resources, resources about Black masculinity, Black manhood, and also resources about social support. And so for the men who may not be in a space where they're ready to have those face-to-face, -face, of course, we can't do that now, but when back yes. then, you know, when guys didn't feel comfortable having those face-to-face -face encounters about their health and well-being, about Black manhood, this kind of online forum was perfect for them. And I think it still yeah. can be perfect for other people. The beautiful thing about the internet and about social media in particular is that men can change their profile name. They can change their profile picture. And so yes. there is something about that anonymity yes. that literally just opens doors for some men 
to be able to really speak freely about how they feel, what they think, what they're struggling with, and things that they still haven't had a chance to figure out. And so what this COVID-19 has done for my team is we have kicked into full gear now trying to say, oh, wow, you know, here we thought we just had something that was very sort of easily accessible and, and nice for guys to come should they decide they want to. But given the pandemic, we're realizing that this may be a necessity for some yeah. black men. And so this may not be no longer an optional program, but some guys are going to need a, a very safe space to unpack some right. of the things That's that are right. happening in their lives. That's right. So we're yeah. trying to roll out a few more yeah. of these iterations in the coming weeks. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. I, I think that even thinking about how um, people are in general are dealing with, you know, having to be inside and, and all of the different activities and um, happenings that Mr. Ellington mentioned, Another big issue that I'm finding with the people that I'm working with is learning how to be with yourself. Yes. Yeah. And yes. for some, it's scary. For some, Dude. it brings yeah. about anger. Some, it brings about yeah. stress, yeah. anxiety. But being point. with yourself yeah. and your thoughts, like yes. helping them learn to, to yes. do that, that process. Yes. Um, yes. Very well said. Yeah. Very well said. Yes. And accepting all those feelings. Yes. Yes. Accepting yes. all those feelings. Yes. All of them. And you I, know, I, 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 that's the the process that I use, um, not just with black males, but with with anybody, right. because I think that our our gut reaction is that when a negative feeling arises or a negative thought arises, we try to push it away. Push yes, it right. Away. That's right. Right. Guess what? We are human beings. Mm -hmm. We are meant to have the whole range of the human experience. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. And you need to lean into it all and in the right. space between. Right? So you have to start getting comfortable with, with what's going on, whether it's good or bad. you got to go through that. Because the more yeah. you try to repress it and push it down, yeah. the harder it is to get past it. Yes. So the resistance doesn't work. Yeah. You've got to lean into yeah. whatever is going on and get comfortable in that space. And when you're ready to make action, then you can move. But you yeah. can't do that without going through the experience. Yes, right. we're not we're not immune to it, right? Mm -hmm. We're not some some yeah. kind of a yeah. super yeah. power or anything like that. What yeah. like Jesse Williams say? I liked his quote years ago. He said, "Just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real." That's right. Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> right. right. Always right. love that. Always love that quote. Yeah, it's yeah. everything. And you think about the fact that, like Dr. Jackson said, we have the spectrum, the whole range of emotions, but then you take a time when Black males are quarantined in their homes, and they've only been taught to emote in this small section of yeah. the spectrum, but they're yes. feeling right. all of them, and now they're alone with all of them. All of emotions. them, for sure. What, how do you right. do, you know, how do you do that? How do you deal with it? Mm. And learning how to process through that. Yeah, definitely. So are there any like parting words or thoughts that you have about, about this topic, about black male um, health, where we're going with it, um, where you'd like to go or anything that you're currently working on? I think I am, um, I'm inspired, not only by our conversation today and the, the panel today, but I'm also inspired about um, what I'm seeing in, in the community and what's being done and conversations that are taking place. And going back to Dr. Watkins' point earlier, people who are unapologetic black scholars and researchers mm -hmm. uh, 
that that's bringing about a shift. Um, we're also in the middle of a shift, being that we're in this pandemic. Um, but but I am still ignited. I am yeah. still uh, ready to to do the work with black communities, black folks, and specifically black men. Um, so that's that's mm -hmm. where I'm at with it. I too am uh, delighted by by being able to engage in this conversation, um, and I think that. This is a conversation I want to continue in, in the work that I do. And uh, just a, a big thanks to the scholars and practitioners on, on the panel for, for what you do. Um, I, I'm sure you don't get a lot of awards for this, but this is really important work uh, to the Black community, uh, and especially for the work that you're doing to empower Black men to, to really get comfortable with being in their skin. So thank you so much for, for all of the work that you do uh, in your individual roles. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Thank you. Yeah, yeah sure. So my, my two cents is that I just wanted to thank you, Dr. Hudson, for bringing us together because yes. I think, you know, these are the conversations that we should be having. And I and I echo the sentiments that they need to continue. And so I'm, I'm thinking we, we might need to start a little Slack channel or something where we can be talking. <laughs> Definitely, yes. <laughs> because, you know, this, because this, this work cannot be done in isolation. And there's still so much that I don't know and so much that I'd like to learn from these guys. I'm just like really inspired. But also, I mean, I think the, you know, the phrase that comes to mind is that the future is bright. I mean, to know that these people on this panel are the folks that are at the front lines working to improve the living and learning um, and just the happiness of Black men really makes my heart glad. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And Mr. Ellington. Uh, yes, thank you for bringing this, making this happen. And I, I feel um, really good about <clears throat> the future in spite of the chaos that we are <laughs> in the midst of. But um, I felt like I was like the, the one guy in, in the Avengers that doesn't have superpowers while I was sitting here on this panel with all these superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm the guy without the, no, uh, like, no. I got to do not. training oh, and stuff. And, and, uh, Hawkeye. Yeah, I'm Hawkeye. Yeah. I'm the guy with the arrow. <laughs> I'm Hawkeye. Everybody, you know, we got the Hulk. We got, we got you know, we got Iron Man. We got Storm. We got everything. <laughs> I love, it. I love it. <laughs> well, I have truly enjoyed this panel and I do feel inspired and I feel like we're we're in a good place in spite of, um, as Mr. Ellington said, and I think that we are we're heading towards even better things. I, I feel like you guys I would love to have another panel and discuss some more yeah. and discuss some other topics. Sure. This was great. Thank you all for agreeing and for being here and for adding such great insight. I think whomever listens to this will, will get some good information and, and be inspired as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Zinanish copyrighted podcast and website represent the opinions of Dr. Lakeisha Hudson, Dr. Kiki Zinanish Incorporated, and or her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical, psychological, or any other advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical, mental, or health concerns. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are Dr. Hudson's and or her guests and do not represent that of their places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. All people and places mentioned in the podcast are intended to protect confidentiality. This podcast or website should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of the podcast or blogs, please send an email to 423.4.dr.kiki at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.